Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Praise is so good. Hey, isn't that what made those walls of Jericho fall down? So I praise. Praise goes before us. Praise fights half the battle. We got to keep praising. It's so exciting. We've been in this series on Joshua, and this is actually the end of it. Uh, We are going to uh, finish up the series today. We were in the beginning. We went through so many things that happened. Um, Now we're jumping to chapters 23 and 24 on this homecoming series, which is called We All Have a Choice. And so these, these chapters contain the final words and the farewell exhortation from Joshua to God's people. The story of Joshua is a story of growth, of challenge, of vision. And we're in a Joshua season here, even for us as a church. In God, we've accomplished much. Even in our personal lives, many of us who have walked with the Lord, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more challenges, the more victories. The more challenges, the more victories. The more challenges, the more victories. I don't hear anything. Come on, guys. The more challenges, the more victories. Challenges are opportunities for victories. So uh, we've come through multiple and multifaceted battles in the greater scheme of God's purpose. And, And most recently, we've even come through the pandemic, and here we are. Here we are now. We're restarting in many ways. And as we're regrouping, we want to know where does God want us? What is he requiring of us? Uh, What can we learn and take away from this book of Joshua? As Pastor Mike has shared many times, it's it's similar, um, that, that homecoming, that stepping into the promises of God after many battles. God's not finished with us. He wants to move you. He wants to move us from where we are to where he wants to be. So let's just look quickly where we're at now. We as a church are a church that's reaching across lines, a church that's multicultural. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's one of the things I always loved about a church. Uh, You you saw the representation. I I took note even when we were uh, welcoming our members. Multi-generational and now multi-site with three campuses. We have our Brooklyn campus. We've seen so many new people come through the doors this year as we've opened them up. Staten Island has finally been able to restart its worship services in person and seeing people come back to church. And Albany just uh, got finally got its um, okay on the building. It's experiencing growth and just about to transition into their new church home. So we're excited about what is happening. And each site is going to continue to grow and new sites will be added because that was a word that the Lord spoke to us. And so we know that that is happening. However, it's more than just bodies and buildings. We started out and we need to remain a church that is growing with people who are passionate about the Lord and are disciples of Christ. A church that is on mission to lead those who are far from God into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ and bringing our non-church friends and strangers alike to experience life change through Jesus. A church where miracles happen and the power and anointing of God is evident and active. For without that, we are not really a church. 
A church that cares for the next generation and is willing to sacrifice so that they can go farther and further than us. And a church that pushes the boundaries to see a movement of God, not just here, but across our city and beyond. And so that's the church God has called us to be. And that doesn't just happen without us being challenged, without fight, without commitment, without effort, without obstacles, without sacrifice, without unity, and especially without undivided devotion and adoration toward our God. So where we are now is not where we are going, but we need to see where that is and and understand through today's message what the choice is for us to get there. So today our text is coming from Joshua chapters 23 and 24. Um, and, and I will be sharing some other scriptures, so you guys in productions, feel free to pull them up if you're able to. I will, um, I will say them before I share them. But right now, we're, in, we're starting with chapter 23, and uh, we, we, did, we studied a lot of the great victories they experienced. And then chapter 14, 14 through 22, we really didn't cover because all of that was basically Joshua dividing up the land to the tribes of Israel. So they finally got access into their land. And now they were dividing it into portions according to the tribes of Israel. And we see here is that's finished. Joshua has done most of what God has called him to do and his life is nearing an end. He's giving a final exhortation, and his exhortation is not just for the now, but it's for the future. And any good servant of God is not thinking only of the now, but thinking of the future, even though, for one, we're not going to be here. So he's giving a final exhortation. He's old. He finished well. A very real travesty is that lots of people who have served God well for many years get sidetracked in their latter years. Even David, Solomon, and Moses fell into this dilemma of missing things at the end, um, where Moses couldn't even enter into the promised land. But Joshua did not. This travesty happens not only to ministers and, and, and pastors, but also people that have worked in the secular environment, because we all have a call and an assignment from God, no matter where our work takes us. And there are many reasons why people in their when they're beginning to age, um, begin to maybe get off track. Sometimes we get tired, get battle-weary. I understand battle-weary. Lose patience, as Moses did, with with all the challenges he had to deal with, with with the people of God. Uh, Lose passion, lack faith. So sometimes people think they've just done enough. You know, we've achieved so much, and this is such a dangerous place to be that we can just settle back Um, because we have arrived, and we have never arrived. You know when we arrive? When we're in heaven. Until then, we have work to do. So, you know, uh, we want to be careful we don't fall into the world's philosophy of retirement. We want to kick back, work on our bucket list. You know, you can retire from your secular job, but that only frees you up to give more of your time and intensify what God has called you to do. So what I've created is my God bucket list. You know, and I have both. I have things I've wanted to do, and God has been so good to me. I have not even planned have most of the things I've been able to do that were in the back of my mind, bucket list. But because of my commitment to serve God above all, he has just let it happen. He has brought those things into my life. It's just been amazing. But I have a God bucket list, things I know I need to do while I am still here, and we all should have our God bucket list. We're not done. And so how do we know when 
uh, how do we know how to get to where God wants to take us? So we're going to look at Joshua 23, which lays out some very explicit things for us. All right, starting at verse 6, Joshua is giving instructions before he heads out to the real home. And he says, be very strong. Doing God's will requires courage. You cannot serve God without courage. So uh, it requires courage. Then he says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. It takes obedience to the word to get to where God wants us to get and to do what he's called us to. So we need to be, have courage and obedience to the word. And let me just say this. How can we have obedience to the word if we don't even know what it says? There should not be one person in the church who is Bible illiterate. We all have Bibles. You can get your Bible on your phone. You can get your Bible anywhere. You need to read it, to know it, to meditate on it, to understand it, to study it. If, if, if there's anyone that thinks coming to church and hearing a message for 30, 40 minutes suffices knowing the Bible, then you have so missed it. And you are so in danger of missing God. So you need to know the word. You need to know the word in order to obey it. God speaks to you right through. You know, there's, there's two words for the word. There's a logo word and there's a rhema word. And the logo word is the written word of God. That never changes. You can't take away or add to it. The rhema word is always uh, bouncing off of the logo word. But the rhema word can get specific. And the rhema word is what God speaks to you directly, prophetically. And so... When we're reading the logo word, often God will speak that rhema word to our hearts. But he won't be able to do that. He won't be able to encourage us. He won't be able to strengthen us. He won't be able to guide us. He won't be able to speak to us if we're not reading the word. Then he says, uh, so he says, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. It takes focus. Focus. We have to keep ourselves from distraction. We have to get rid of our spiritual ADHD. You know, squirrel. It's so important that we learn how to focus. Do you ever see a good athlete? They have focus. That's the only way they got there. You see, when we're studying, I see people studying as they're going through college and, and, and preparing um, for exams. There has to be focus. There has to be focus. Distractions have to be put aside. You have to focus to achieve anything. You have to focus to accomplish anything. And so in order for us to serve God and to attain, obtain his promises, we need focus. We need to have focus in our lives. And this is not just a, 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 a here and there thing. It has to be a constant focus on serving God, a constant focus on following him, on knowing his word, on obeying his word. So it takes focus, keeping ourselves from distractions. And we're going to just talk a few minutes about how distractions really affect us. And so when we talk about Focus, we see in Philippians 3.14 that Paul said, I press on toward the goal to win the prize of God's heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. That's focus. And he said, I run that race as if to win. That's focus. We're not just gliding through life, serving God as one of many things. Serving God has to be the primary thing. 
following him has to be the primary thing. And all those other things will fit in their right place under it. So we have to stay locked in. We have to stay locked in and keep a focus. And it takes discipline and it takes spiritual disciplines to keep focused. Spiritual disciplines such as prayer. Spiritual disciplines as reading the word. Spiritual disciplines as being in church and in fellowship. So there, there, there's many other spiritual disciplines, but those keep us focused. Just as an athlete has physical disciplines to keep him focused, we have spiritual disciplines to keep us focused, and we need to practice them. Um, and it'd be good to get a book on spiritual disciplines. We've recommended many of them in the past um, and learn how to make them a part of your... A, de- a discipline is only something if it's a regular part of your life. An athlete doesn't train for a day and then wait a few months and compete. It's an everyday thing. And I know I saw that. I remember when my son was, a, was an amazing basketball player. And he was training. And he was up at 5 in the morning practicing. He was constantly, every time I hear a basketball dribble down my block, I think of him. Because he was constantly in and out with his basketball. Every single day he was practicing. He was training. And so he still had to be in school. He still had to work. He still had other things in his life. You understand? It doesn't mean we don't have other things in our life. But when you're focused and when you're training, you have a discipline that every day of your life, along with all the other things you do, you are training. So you understand? It doesn't mean that we stop everything, but it means that everything is not going to stop us from those disciplines. So we can never make our job. We can never make our family. We can never make those other things in our lives an excuse for not having spiritual disciplines. There's no excuse for not praying every day. There's no excuse for not reading the word. There's just no excuse. I watched my son hold down a job, go to school, take time with his family, but yet he was disciplined to make sure every day he was training. Oh, and on top of that, he never missed church. So when he had a game on a Sunday night, he found the Saturday night service. He never missed church with all those things going on. So he had his spiritual life, his family life, his school life, his work life, but yet every day he was disciplined to train. So let's get convicted by that. I know I am. So we go on in verse 7. He said, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. So the next thing we need, we said we need courage, we need focus, uh, we need obedience, we need a single-hearted devotion to God. We need devotion to God. A devotion that transcends everything else we love. Everyone worships something. We were created to worship. The question is not if we will worship, but what or who do we worship? That singleness of heart, of devotion and worship to God will then translate into the things he's called us to do. When you have a single-hearted devotion to God, it begins to translate down into his kingdom, his work, his church, which we are. We're told to love God with all of our heart. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. That's the kind of devotion 
we're talking about. And when you really do this and have nothing in your heart before him, you begin to care for what God cares for. And he can lead you. He can guide you. You are safeguarded. So we need to have a single heart devotion to the Lord and examine our hearts because we get tested to see what else may come before him. And this is not the abnormal, church. This is supposed to be the normal. So this wasn't for Joshua. This is what he's telling the entire nation, all the people of God. This is for all of us. 1 John 2, um, verse 15 and 16. You know, what tries to divide our devotion? A divided heart is a defeated heart. So what tries to take away our devotion? Here we read, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And he also says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. The world lies in the power of the evil one. Go home and look up all the scriptures in the New Testament on the world. So we understand the world is not just people. The world is a world is a world system. It's a fallen world. We live in a fallen world with systems that the enemy has set up. So even if we were to be in a so-called Christian nation, if one does exist, we're in a fallen world. And we have to understand that. So there's so many things in this life and in this world that can pull our heart and pull our desire and pull our affection away from God. And we have to always check our hearts. You know, it doesn't say don't have things in the world. It doesn't say don't love things in the world or people. You may even not have the things and love them. It's, it says, it doesn't say you can't have them. It says not to love them. It's where our heart is. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, in our heart, what do we love? That's why we have to keep ourselves in that pure devotion to God, loving him. Worship keeps us in that place. Worship helps us to love him. We need to be in relationship with him. So Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he, he follows that to say, you cannot serve God in money. Money is the language of the world. Greed is at the heart of most sin against humanity. Did you know that? Greed. Greed makes people do evil things. Evil things. And it's not that we can't have money, but when you have money, you have to, again, guard your heart. And there's very few people I know that can have great wealth and be using it wisely for the Lord, but they are there. But it's just the desire for things. The desire, covetedness, is, is one of the things that God spoke about in the Ten Commandments. Not to covet things that somebody else has. To be content, Paul said, is godliness. To be content with what you have. Now, sometimes we need to achieve or get things. Sometimes we have to push to get things. But uh, the thing is, where is our heart? Where is our love? And what distracts us? from our devotion to God or enhances it. I know that I got to the place and continue to struggle to keep myself in that place that I want to serve God. I want everything in my life to be used for his glory and his purpose. 
When you have that desire, then it's amazing the things God can put in your life because you use them the right way. The first time I wanted a house, I wanted a house because I needed a place to serve God. And believe me, he took me up on that because we had endless trails of people coming and living with us, things we used that house for that I could not have done where I lived prior. It was not my house, it was God's. And so everything that we have or even desire, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of our heart. The thing is the delight in the Lord has to be first because then your heart is pure, your motives are right. And God can give you desires because they're in the right place. In a parable of the seed, it's the concerns and pleasures both of life that distract us. This is what distracts us. These are the things that keep our focus off that we have to watch out for. The pleasures and the concerns. We all have concerns. We all have things we're dealing with. We all have challenges in our life. It's so easy for those things to distract us. It's so easy for those things to take our focus away. But yet Jesus had a remedy for that. He said, don't fret, don't worry over anything in your life. I'm going to take care of you. So we need to do things. Doesn't mean we sit back and we don't grow the grocery store and expect God to miraculously fill our fridges. But it means where is our heart? You know what? If, if your heart is in the right place and you're on mission, then when you're in that grocery store, God's going to show you somebody to go up and talk to about Christ. You'd be surprised the things that happen when your focus is in the right place. Then you're doing these other things, but they're not taking your heart. So cares, worries take your heart. Pleasures take your heart. So, uh, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't experience pleasures, and it doesn't mean you won't have concerns, because you will. What it means is it will matter how much those things mean to you. What do you love? What do you long for? What do you worship? What do you live for? We need courage, so we see we need obedience, focus, and single-hearted devotion. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he's, he's saying, I got you, but I need you to focus. What matters is what's first, what is singly most important. Then the rest falls into place. It doesn't mean you don't love people, you don't love your family. It means you love God first. And in that devotion, you're able to rightly love other people. You're able to rightly take care of your family. You're able to bring it all under the umbrella of the kingdom of God is what God wants us to do. It's not, it's not just a piece. You understand you're serving God. It's not just a piece of your life. It is your life. It's not just a piece it, it, with many pieces, it's the overarching umbrella of everything in your life. That's how it has to be. That's what Christianity is. It's often the good things that trip us up and keep us from loving God and fulfilling our mission. So what will we be saying when we stand before Jesus? I didn't do drugs. I didn't beat my wife or beat my husband. I didn't steal. Oh, by the way, if you're not giving your 10% to the storehouse, which is the church, you're not only stealing, but you're stealing from God. Don't shoot the messenger. It's what his word says. Um, are, are, are we like the guy in the temple that said, I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer. And yet he went away not in God's grace. He went away not justified. 
Will, will we say, God, I went to church. And by the way, going to church according to God's commands is the Sabbath. It's every week. It's not when it's convenient. It's not when it's nice out or when it's raining out or when it's snowing out or not snowing out or, you know, or, or not raining. Going to church is consistent, not once a month. It's, it's a noted fact now that church attendance has come down. And this is among Christian churches. It's sad because this is weakening us. That church attendance is maybe once a month by the average Christian. That means the average Christian does not understand devotion to God. Because devotion to God translates into devotion and commitment to his church, to the mission. And we can't do that in a haphazard way. We can't do that when it's just when it's convenient or here or there. It has to be full on, full on. So isn't it amazing that even in our goodness, sometimes we're not really so good. So we need to understand that even that guy in the temple that was throwing himself prostrate before God, asking for mercy, was the guy that left justified. You know, and sometimes some of us that maybe have had more struggles, challenges, or things we've done bad in our life, but yet when we come to God, we're fully there, fully devoted. He, even the woman that, that Jesus said she loved him so much because she had been given, forgiven so much. And that love was a good thing. See, that devotion to God is always a good thing. You want to find every chance you can to worship, to love him, to be in his presence. Okay, so continue on, Joshua 23, 11. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. But if you ever go back and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and in doing so closely associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your back, thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. Whoa. When the Bible tells us to be holy, it doesn't mean be perfect. It means be set apart for him. This is non-conforming to the ways of the world. And in such a way, we're not, and we want to non-conform to the ways of the world and, and be set apart and sanctified and purify our lives. Because you see, we're in the world, but not of it. And then there's so many ways in this world where, where there's things that are not pleasing to God. And it's not our place to judge and condemn and harass people. It's our place to keep ourselves pure, to be the example. To let them see something better in our lives. Not intermingling. It's, it doesn't mean we don't associate with people. How else are they going to hear the gospel? Will we associate with them in such a way that we're not intermingling with them to the point that it sucks us into their lifestyles? Because that's what will happen. The Bible says, bad character corrupts good morals. You hang out with people long enough, you begin to fall in their ways. That's why parents, it's so important to train your children. That's why it's so important for us to gather, for us to study the word. Because then by default, we begin to do the things that are around us. How do we know the difference? So in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17 and 18, 
He said, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness is separating ourselves. You see, we're, we're set apart. God wants to set you apart for his purpose. He wants to set you apart to use you. He wants to set you apart as one of his children. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. We live a life of constant repentance and asking God to forgive us. But he wants you to be set apart with that devotion to God, set apart for his purposes on this earth. And we need to be focused. It means that we stop living like the world and thinking it's okay. God has called you out of the world. So we're in the world, but not of it. We're not translated out. We don't go like monks into caves. It's easier to do that. But we have to live in it and not be a part of it. We have to be set aside. We have to be a light on a hill. Salt and light. So, you know, God wants us to... He wants to bring people to himself through us. But, but he says, you know, once you're out... He calls us out. It says we're, we're called out of darkness into light. It says that when we get saved, when Christ comes in our life, we're actually translated spiritually inside from within, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And, and all of you that have had that experience know all of a sudden your eyes are open. All of a sudden you understand things. All of a sudden it's like, wow, why did I never see that before? Because you were in the kingdom of darkness. Now you're in the kingdom of light. But once you're out, don't ever go back. Josh 23, 7 said, but if you ever go back, you lose it all. I know so many people that have had knew Christ, tasted of Christ, and are now without the blessing of God that he wants to have in their life because they walked away. Don't walk away ever. I, it's, it's my, I, I watch, I see many young people, those that have and, and you can come back, by the way. But those that stay, you walk away and you don't come back. It does not go well for you. You miss out on the good things God wants to do for you. But it's never too late. You can always come back. And everything that you do translates down to your children and to everyone around you. So if you are courageous, obedient, focused, devoted, and consecrated, it will safeguard you. People walk away for stupid reasons. Stupid reasons. Something didn't go their way. Someone in church offended them. A leader wasn't perfect. It just got too hard. They got caught up in the allure of the world. They got tempted. Let us not be that stupid. It is a grievous thing to leave the Lord. And our lives will never be satisfied. Thank God we can always come back. Thank God I've seen so many that have come back. The sooner you do it, the better. Probably no one in this congregation is, you know, it's, it's like preaching to the choir. But we have to pray for those people that need to come back, that need to give their lives back. I know many of them. I pray for them unceasingly because I want to see the blessing of God in their life. Now let's look at the very last chapter of Joshua 24 as he continues 
and how that relates to us. So then he assembled all the tribes, and he summoned the elders, leaders, judges, officials, and presented them before God, and he said to the people, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. And then he begins to go through a history lesson of their journey of salvation, their deliverance from Abraham all the way up to their present. And he said, your ancestors lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. But I took your father Abraham and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And Jacob and his family went down to Egypt where they were enslaved. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and he brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, and I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them before you, and you took possession of the land. When Balak, the son of Moab, prepared to fight against you, he sent for Balaam to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came into Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did all these other nations, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings, you did not do this with your own sword or bow, but I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from their vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. It's so similar to us, what God has given us, salvation, righteousness, blessings that we did not work for, that we did not earn, that we did not deserve through the cross of Jesus. And we always have to see everything through the cross of Jesus. But we see here lots of battles and lots of victories. So the last part of this is reflection of choice and memorials. The land was taken, the inheritance assured. Battles were won, nations conquered, they had victories. The Israel climbed, Israelites climbed the mountaintop, reached the pinnacle, they made it. They were exciting times, but at the same time, they were dangerous times because they were in danger of forgetting where God had brought them from. They were in danger of forgetting what God had done. They were in danger of thinking they did it and that God didn't do it for them. They were in danger of no longer depending on God and trusting in themselves. They were in danger of becoming too comfortable, complacent, wanting life to be too convenient and risk-free. You know, we too have experienced battles and victories as individuals and as a church. The fact that there is resistance does not mean we are not moving in God's direction. Usually it means the opposite. In all my years of ministry and things I've done for God, I've always been amazed that I was, when I was on my way to do something that I knew God was really in, that I hit the most obstacles. And I've seen so many people when something gets hard or a challenge comes in the way or there's an obstacle, oh, it must not be God. No, it means you have no courage. It doesn't mean it's not God. It means you don't want to fight. Doesn't mean it's not God. God never said he's just going to make it all happen smooth. And that's the proof that it's his will. No, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight of your faith. It's a fight of your tenacity. It's a fight that you need so that your heart is in the right place. God allows, as, as, as was shared last week, God allows or the week before certain things to remain 
as thorns in our flesh to keep us in that place where we continue to fight. There was something in my life I had struggled and struggled. I prayed and fasted more than I prayed and fasted for anything. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I'm not removing that yet. I hear your prayers. It's happening. But I'm not doing it yet because there's something I'm doing in you through this. Wow. So, good. Come on. so challenges and struggles does not mean we're not moving in God's direction. The scripture says we're in an ongoing war. 2 Corinthians 10 says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, arguments, and mindsets that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. These mindsets are working in people and keep people from entering into God's grace and his blessing. Keeps them from truth. Keeps them from salvation. And, and, and the way we wage war when it comes to mindsets is just through simple communication and dialogue. It's not by putting people down. I mean, I've just seen the worst things over the past two years, whether it was over presidential elections, whether it was over vaccines, whether you're getting them or not, whatever it's over, the nastiness, the nastiness. You don't win anyone over that way. Dialogue, yes. Dialogue is good. Reasoning is good. Putting people down and calling them names doesn't get you anywhere. And, and, and thankfully, I've not seen anyone in this church ever do that on social media. But we have to be so careful. How are we being a witness to Christ? So the battle we are in is not just for ourselves, but for the souls of humankind. So we need to be, for their sake, courageous, obedient, focused, single-hearted, and consecrated. So let's look at past victories. As a church, which you are a part of, God has done so much. And you know what? We need to journal it. And we are going to journal it. So that everyone that's new in this church sees where God has brought us from. Because it's been a history of, of the miraculous. You see, God called us here. My husband and I could have taken on a pastorate job in other places. Everything lined up for us. Instead, we gave up everything. Everything. Everything and lived on nothing to start this church in a community that was really hard-pressed. God said, I called you here. And you know, there's maybe more than that many people that would be willing to take that on because it wasn't back then like it is now. My husband dodged bullets. My husband had hits put on on his life by the very people that then got saved. So you understand, we just were obeying God when we came here. We didn't decide we're going to go to Sunset Park. He said, this is where I want you. And so we came here. And, and, and the things God has done, even getting us this building, the miraculous things he has brought us through, the healings, the power of God, it's story after story after story, the wonders of transforming a community here through much prayer. But it's through many battles. Our last battle being the COVID pandemic. It was a battle. We fought through that battle. We fought through for members of our church to live through it. We fought through so many things. The devil hates the church and is always looking to bring devastation, disrepute, and division. So whether you like it or not, once you give your life to Christ, you're enlisted in a war. But the war is not with each other. It's with the devil. 
but it's a war that ultimately is being won by the God of all power, glory, and dominion. And I'd rather be in battle and in a struggle with a commander-in-chief that's going to ultimately win than a bail in the hard times and turn away from God and in the end wind up on the losing side. Many have done so. As a church, the message of the gospel is getting out to, getting out to every person is our mission. That's our mission. That's our mission. That's our mission. Getting the gospel out to every person is our mission. Getting the gospel out to every person is our mission. It's our mission. It's your assignment. You have that assignment in different ways, but it's your assignment if we don't grasp that. I was so thankful for the church that I came to Christ in because they never let us forget it. Every week, our pastor pointed out the empty seats and said, we were supposed to bring someone there. Every week, they took us out. To share our faith. I was a brand new Christian. They take me to, to, to the village where there's people I've never met or seen. Strangest kind of people. And here I am just sharing my, my story, sharing my testimony. But it, it taught us how to do that. Every year, every summer in this church, we were out on the streets in one way or another sharing the gospel People on a mic sharing their testimony, going wherever we can to share. And we're still called to do that. We have to get out of our pandemic slump. We have to get out of that laziness that, that we're just home buddies now. We're not. We have to get back out there. Yeah, we have to get back out there in every way we can. And it has to be orchestrated ways where we go out as a church. And it has to be individually where you're looking for every opportunity with a neighbor, with a friend, with a stranger, with someone God may point out to you. See, when you realize it, when you every day get up and realize this, when someone's constantly telling you, so I will keep telling you. Because our pastor kept telling us. And you know what? I did it. I go to church, and I was a shy person. I'm in church to school, and I was a shy person. And I'd see this person, and God would put on my heart to talk to them like, ah, I don't even know them. Why don't you get that person and tell them they're just so friendly. I have friends. I seem to be friends with really friendly people. I think it just helped me because I wasn't a real friendly person, more out of shyness. And, you know, my husband was like that, too. Everywhere he goes, he just talks to everybody like they're his best friend. And I had a best friend who did that, too. Just, and I wasn't good at that. I was just like, hi, bye. And after I know you for like two years, then I start to talk to you. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to. And I, and, and, and I struggled, and I went, and I talked to her, and she was going through the worst time of her life, and she gave her life to Christ. And, and you know, the, the way I came to Christ, it was just so amazing. Our church pushed this. You don't understand? The church I went to pushed this so much. So this 70-year-old woman, because my pastor never let it go. He was, he was determined to win everybody he could to Christ. And that's all he told them to do. Go out and bring people to church. Go out and share the gospel. So this 70-year-old woman comes into the schoolyard where my crowd hung out and did drugs. And she starts talking to them. And like the courage and the boldness. Because we were a bunch of teenagers. And they were laughing at her. And she just got there with a Bible and just started sharing the gospel and she left but you know one girl in that crowd had been brought up in a Christian home and got so convicted because she was there that day and she went home and she repented and she went back to church and that girl was a girl that led me to Christ 
That girl was a girl that led several of my crowd to Christ. All ministers now, all pastors. Because one 70-year-old woman had the courage to go into a place where she didn't even feel comfortable wasn't her people. But she did it. We have to have that kind of boldness, that kind of courage, that kind of willingness to go out and share the gospel. We need so much to do this. You don't need to know a lot. You don't need to know, be a theologian. Just know the basic message and share your story. This girl, you got to understand, the girl, when, when she got saved, she gave her life back to Christ. She witnessed to me while we smoked a joint. Do you understand that? She wasn't perfect, and then she got convicted, so she started praying and repenting that she smoked the joint. And I'm real confused. I'm just sitting there real confused. But when she started praying, the presence of God and the fear of God fell on me, and I knew I had to get my life right with God. I didn't know how, but I knew. And I showed up at church, and I was at church every week until finally someone brought me to the altar, prayed with me, and Jesus came in my life. God is saying to you, I saved you. I took you out of darkness. I helped you when you cried out to me. I made a way for you. I commanded my blessings on you. I gave you what you did not deserve or work for. I gave you forgiveness, righteousness, access into heaven, and all the blessings of this life. Our victories are both corporate and personal. Our, our victories come from God, not ourselves. We should all have personal victory stories. If we don't, we have not walked closely with God. It's hard for me to remember all of them now. But I have so many, and they keep coming. Sometimes I wish they didn't keep coming. Because it usually starts with a battle. And then having to exercise faith. But then God gives me another story. The Bible says we have overcome. Our debt is by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. Our debt is paid. The Israelites took over and over, lost sight of God. They forgot what he did. And they lived as if they did it themselves. The best place you can ever be is acknowledge always that you were, where you were at, where you were at in every good way is from the Lord. And take it to the end. And take it to the end. I have to keep, like, constantly reminding myself, the longer I'm in this journey, that the journey is till death, that this Serving God is till death. I read a story about Catherine Kuhlman, great evangelist and healing ministry, one of the greatest. And I love this story. She was dying. I forget how old she was. She was well, in, I think, into her 90s. She was in the hospital, and she actually told the nurses, I'm going to die at this time, and I want only there to be roses at my funeral. And so she died at that moment, and they said the whole hospital started filling up with the smell of roses, and there was no flowers in that hospital. And the presence of God was just in that place. Because this was a woman that served God to her dying breath. I said, God, I want that. I want to be that person. I may not have her same story, but I want to be that person. I don't want to get sidetracked somewhere along the way. I want to make it and end well. We all want to have that. So he finishes up, and we're going to be closing, and I'm Joshua 
24:14 says, now, for, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served at the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Some of you may be thinking, I don't worship idols. I don't pray to statues, but it's, the heart is an idol factory, Martin Luther that's a quote from Martin Luther. When you start putting work before the Lord, work becomes an idol. Money or a house can become an idol. Our children or a boyfriend can become an idol. When you spend more time playing video games and practicing spiritual disciplines, that's an idol. TV can be an idol. Pleasures become an idol. Our bodies become an idol. Even people that take good care of their bodies and, and are trying to be healthy, it becomes an idol. Jesus said, if anyone loves mother, brother, land, houses, work, anything more than me, he's not worthy of me. That's the single-hearted devotion. So Joshua says, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, it's not just us. You know, especially if you are a parent, as for me and my house, and for young parents, this is so important, we will serve the Lord. We raised our kids to serve the Lord, and that's why they still serve the Lord, and their children are being raised to serve the Lord, and that's why they will serve the Lord, and their kids will serve the Lord. Because we're focused, because we're committed, because we're consecrated, because we're set apart. And this isn't for pastors, this is for all of us. It's one or the other. There's no middle ground. There's no room for both. There's a choice. Either follow the Lord wholeheartedly or not. Really, this is Christianity. This is where the church, who knows who the real church is. Because the real church is those that follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And that's where God is going to work and move. Make a decision. Choose this day. Make a choice. Joshua is stressing to the people of God to follow after the ways of the Lord, to pursue him, to keep sin out of their house. There is a decision that we all face, and God doesn't have middle ground. Listen to this. How much God doesn't like middle ground? He said, I wish you were hot or cold. But if you look warm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. There's a picture to take home with you. It's up to you to make up your mind and make that decision and find out what is in the way of that. How did Joshua help them make that decision? And you understand when you go home today, some of the most impactful messages I heard, I had to go home. I had to begin to think about it. Pray and ask God to help me to respond. And every time I've done that, something happened. God brought me to that place. So if you just go home and, and continue, you're going to forget this. But I'm asking you to, today to make a decision. I'm going to ask many of you to come up and pray. Let this be a time where you make a decision as for me and my house, whether it's your house now, whether it's your household in the future, whatever it is, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And now we understand what it means to serve the Lord, what it means to be wholehearted in devotion, what it means to be consecrated and set apart, what it means to love him above all what it means to be to understand the mission he's called us to so many times people come in broken and lost they get saved they get set free they meet Jesus then they get a job or a boyfriend or something else comes and they begin to slowly drift and they forget where they came from and what God has done and they lose their passion 
Whatever victories God has given you is to be handed down to the next generation. You see, as, as he wound this thing up, he was, he was making it clear that he was preparing them, not only for them to continue, but that they would continue this generationally. And we're going to see in the end that it only lasted another generation. See, Judges 2, 10 and 11, listen to this. And all that generation, the Joshua generation, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is what we don't want to happen. Those that are older need to, need to understand that our assignment is to equip and prepare the next generation to teach them, to tell them. I can't wait to write down everything. And I'm going to make you all get a copy of that book that's going to tell all the amazing things that God has done because that's what helped me. I watched my pastor. I sat under my pastor. I listened to him. I read books of people that did great things for God. They, some of them were ministers. Some of them were plumbers. But by sitting under that teaching, I was able to follow that example and do the same thing and get the same results. And listen to how he ends this. He says, so he says, choose this day when you're going to serve. And then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. So, and then they said, therefore, we also will serve the Lord. This is what they're saying. But Joshua said to the people, listen, guys. He's a jealous God. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods. He's telling them again. There must have still been things that they had not dealt with. Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. Incline your heart to the Lord. Is that idol talk again. And the people said, the Lord our God we will serve. And his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And he put statues in place and rules for them. And he wrote the words in the book of the law. And he took a large stone as a memorial and he set it up and he said, this stone is going to be a witness against us for it heard all the words of the Lord he spoke. Therefore, it's going to be a witness against you unless lest you deal falsely with your God. And then he sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Notice the intensity of the warning of defaulting on their promise. They made a promise and he said, watch out. And in case you think it's better not to make a wholehearted commitment, that doesn't work. Because Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. I said it, there's no middle ground. There's no sidelines. Joshua's concern at the end of his life that was that they would be half-hearted in their devotion to God. And to live half-hearted is to live with no heart at all. My burden for the church is that we would not be, that we would be wholeheartedly devoted to him. Idols are anything that takes your heart, that drives your decisions, that monopolizes your time and attention, especially your heart. That's why he said, choose this day whom you will serve. Make up your mind and serve the Lord. And it doesn't mean be a good person. 
That's why so many people miss it. It means make up your mind who you'll serve, that nothing in your heart comes before God. And let him test it. Bring it before him. Say, God, where am I at with this? We're being challenged today. We need more leaders like Joshua. We need men and women who are willing to speak hard truths and call our hearts back to total devotion to the Lord. Because many churches just want to say nice things to fill their churches. We want to fill our churches with people that are hungry for God and that will have a passion for him and be his disciples or else the church is weak and pathetic. Joshua was strong and courageous. He worshiped the Lord. He was wholehearted and totally devoted. We need to do this as a church. And I, I want to share one other scripture. It's interesting because there is reward. And I want to end with the reward. There's no neutral ground. In fact, Matthew 8, 34 and 35 says, He called the crowd to him and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel will save it. And then he ends that with, what is a profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So we need to let everything in our hearts die. And we may need to do this over and over again. And in many situations, I do this constantly, things I want, and I have to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Then he gives it back, sanctified if he decides to give it back. And that's up to him, because it's no longer up to me. But listen to the reward, I love this. Joshua 14, seven, when they were splitting up the land, Caleb comes, and he was one of the two spies that was sent out and came back with a good report, if you remember, out of all the spies. So he said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord, my God, fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, fully. And now, behold, the Lord has let me live these 45 years from that time, and I'm still strong today. As I was in the day Moses sent me down, then give me this hill country, which the Lord spoke on that day what I, that I would have. So Joshua blessed him and gave him that land as an inheritance, which it is to this day, because he followed the Lord God Israel of Israel fully. Fully. So my, my call to you today is to follow the Lord fully. Not make it part of your life, but your life. Doesn't mean you won't do anything else. I said that. But this has to be where your affection is, where your devotion is, where your purpose is. It's the only thing that will put us in the right place individually as families and as a church. I've seen families that just their kids go in all different directions because there was no devotion taught them. I thank God for my pastor. I thank God for my husband that we were able to be equally joined in our commitment to God to raise children that would have that same commitment. And to now see my grandchildren. So, you know, when you're so entrenched in the things of God, it becomes normal. And if you don't entrench your kids in the things of God, they will be entrenched in the things of the world, and that's what will be normal. 
It's not that hard to keep them when we're living this as a lifestyle, when they see it in our lives, when you're praying every day, when you're praying over your kids, when you're praying with your family, when you're reading the Bible together, when you're coming to church together, when you're making the right decisions and doing the right things. So I'm going to ask people, I'm going to ask you all to stand. And I apologize for my overtime. But I want us, as we worship, I'm just going to ask people to come up, to make a commitment, to come up, to make a commitment, to come up, to make a choice, to come up, to seek God, to come up, to make that surrender, to come up, to say, Lord, I want it to be that I'm not just assuming I made that choice, but I want to know that that's the choice I made. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want the reward that comes with it. And I want the blessings. And I want to be in your purpose and admission. So we're going to worship God. I'm going to ask you, just come up. Come up and pray. Come up and pray. Come up at the altar and pray if you're home. Then just make an altar there. Get on your knees and begin to pray and make this surrender to God. God bless you. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.